0: welcome this morning. It's so good to be with you and uh, be together. Brennan, thank you for leading us in prayer. Um, kind of a, a sombering, uh, sobering kind of a thought to f- consider since 1973. My goodness. Uh, okay. Well, uh, here we go. You ready? Open your Bibles to First Timothy. First Timothy. And uh, We're going to start with this letter, and uh, I would suggest to you and present to you, it's all about your church, Jesus. And here's a letter to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. Um, I'm sure we have lots of uh, uh, experiences regarding church, uh, what it's about, you know, things that have happened, things that... Uh, been strange or wonderful, all, all sorts of different uh, thoughts about church. And we come together to here this morning, starting this series. This is the first message in this series, really, that we're going to uh, look at it in a brief way as we get started. Um, and so it's about your church, Jesus. This is not... Um, some denominations church here. This is not some, uh, this is not the elders church. Um, this is not your church in that sense. We identify Parkside Bible Fellowship as being the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church. And we need to remember that and keep thinking in those terms. Uh, many times it's just associated with the person that's up here a lot. So, um, You know, it's uh, so-and-so's church. Baloney, (laughs) it's, you know, it's not Woody's church. Um, All those things, you know, other famous preachers, uh, John, not that I'm one of them. I'm not suggesting that. Please don't go there. Don't come up to me afterwards and connect that at all. But like, you know, John Piper or, um, you know, other famous uh, preachers, uh, Chuck Swindoll, it's their church. No. No jesus christ his church okay so what i want to do is i'm i've presented this to you in in the outline so it's in your bulletin you'd uh, like to follow along this is one of hundreds probably of outlines that you could look at and consider tracking along with this little letter But here's one outline, an overview of 1 Timothy. It's simple, it's clear. Number one, sound doctrine related to the true gospel message. That's chapter one. Chapter two, number two, sound doctrine in the church. That's what Paul writes to Timothy about. Here's sound doctrine in the church. And sub uh, points there, chapter two is in church practice. Sound doctrine in church practice. There's chapter 2. Chapter 3 could be summarized as um, sound doctrine in church leadership and purpose for chapter 3. Point number 3, sound doctrine for church leadership. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. So um, chapter 4 would be summarized as preserving uh, pastors or keeping pastors from apostasy. And also uh Chapter 5 and 6, again, summarized, could be promoting practical pastoral wisdom. Okay? Now, some at this point might just kind of check out. Because you heard me say pastor or pastoral. And it's like First Timothy is all about pastor. So I don't really count. Wrong assumption. Don't go there. Why? Who's, who's the recipient of the letter? Timothy. Was Timothy, uh, yeah, he was put into, uh, leadership at the church at Ephesus. And that's what Paul's writing about. Here, remember this, remember this, and that's what we just kind of went through. Here's an overview of the letter of 1 Timothy. But Timothy, how did he start? As a servant, right? Serving Lord, just wanting to serve the Lord. So some somehow, people in our day and age, we put, oh, oh Paul, obviously, he, Paul's untouchable. He You know, we can't touch him. Well, Timothy is kind of next in line. Well, maybe we can get closer to where Timothy's at. Oh, wait a minute. That's the wrong kind of thinking. We need to understand that if we are saved last week, if we're saved, we're what? Put into service. That's the idea of being saved being a believer, being a Christian, you come to f- salvation, come to the point of salvation. You're you're saved to serve. You're saved to serve whether you're young or old. There's no age requirement. Say, well, so and so can't make it because they're only 10 years old. Well, yes, they're 10 years old, but, you know, maybe there's a way in which they can serve. All that, you know, growing up in the faith is what it's about. So don't, in a sense, check out because, oh, this is just for pastors. No, that's not one of your options here, okay? So that's the overview of 1 Timothy. So remember, before we move on to the theme, remember, without sound doctrine, there is no true fellowship. And consequently, there's really no church. Okay? Okay? sound doctrine is critical for us. And that's why it's important that we understand, you know, here are some churches in our country that are, you know, going off to more of a, an entertainment type of mentality. You sit there and you get entertained by, you know, the latest, whatever. And, I'm not saying that God can't work through that. I'm just saying that God gave a a blueprint for his church. All right? And we need to be tracking with the blueprint for his church more than the latest fad. Okay? That's very important. Very fundamental. Okay? So, here's um, two options, if you will. For the theme, just to touch on the theme of First Timothy. Number one, it's from Warren Wiersbe. Many of you are familiar with Warren Wiersbe's uh, teaching and commentaries. Number one, how to manage the ministry of the local church. Simply put, how to manage the ministry of the local church. Um, it's about order in the local church, First Timothy. Here's order. Here's uh, the way Timothy, as a leader, is, is to manage, if you will, for the shepherd Timothy being the under shepherd okay or secondly this is from the ESV study bible I, I find it very interesting where it says number 2 under the theme the gospel leads to practical visible change in the lives of those who believe and i would add and in the in those who lead the church it's not like the leaders of the church just have to you know just get to sit back and say hey i got everything together no leaders need to continue to evaluate themselves in light of First Timothy and other passages or other books of pastoral epistles, uh, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. That's why they call them pastoral letters or epistles. They're the pastors. Here's how to manage the church, run the church. And all along this journey, we do have problems in leadership. Not with Jesus. (laughs) He's perfect. But it's with leaders. We are limited. We are, uh, we, you know, it, it, there, there can be the signs of pride and arrogance. All sorts of things pop up when people are involved. <laughs> right? So that includes leadership. God help us. I appreciate, you know, someone saying, hey, you know, I've been really praying for um, the elders. That's good. And when people say, we need to pray for the church, yes, let's do that. I'm all for that. There's no implication behind it saying, oh, something's really messed up. Well, if you really want to know, yeah, there's all sorts of problems in life, right? And so the more we are locked into, here's the blueprint. And understand where it's going, you know, the more we can just pull together then. Really a, a cool uh, word picture, pulling together. You know, if we're on the bottom deck of the boat, we're all servants, right? <laughs> pulling at the oars, uh, all the same motion. And not uh, taking your oar and, you know, whipping it and bashing somebody on the head because you're upset with them. No, pulling together. Pulling together. That's the idea of the church. Pull together. And it's about one thing, Jesus and his gospel message. So, through this letter, we will see that Paul gave Timothy encouragement regarding his pastoral duties, and he affirmed the truths that are essential to preserve health in the church, to preserve health in his church, Christ's church. However, in our generation, and I mean baby boomers, in our generation, what has happened to the church? We've undergone some remodeling, if you will, by leaders, not by Jesus, but by leaders that think, here again, here's this new fad that we got to pull in. Here's a new idea. And it's clearly initiated and implemented all these major changes to the church. And I can say it's, yeah, it's in our lifetime, if you're like, uh, you know, Baby boomer generation. That's all I can say. That's where it's at. We've seen changes. Back in the 60s, it started. Maybe it started before that. But church, um, the way church is run, the way church is done, it all shows that we've undergone um, an influence from the enemy. I'm not saying every single church. I'm just saying there's an overall kind of influence that the enemy, Satan, wants us to implement where we gradually soften the message, remove the words. Let's not talk so much about sin. Let's not talk so much about adultery, fornication, homosexuality, etc., etc. You know, there's all sorts of them, not just those. But let's soften it up, right? We've seen that. And it's not just the enemy initiating his deceptions, but it's also just the fact that people allow worldliness to lead the way. And that affects the church. Okay? It's important that we understand what's at stake, again, what's at stake here when we talk about a letter like this. We could race through it and just say, hey, you know, we did 1st Timothy, isn't that cool? What effect did it have? The effect it has, it should have, is upon leaders and how we how we run church, if you will, if you want to put it that way, how the church is operated. So, there's our quick opening of an overview and a theme. Now, let's get into the opening of 1 Timothy. Okay, here we go. Follow along in your Bibles, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from, the, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. There's our greeting. Amen. That's that. Not. Okay. You know, how many times when you do a study in a letter, you come across the same old, what we think is same old, same old. Hey, it's just a greeting. You're going to talk for 40 minutes about a greeting. Well, not 40, but we're going to talk about it. Why is this important? You know, we are to consider Paul's opening greeting here okay and i'm going to i'm presenting to you here why this is important what what is significant about what is basically a standard greeting nothing big about it right but i believe that it's obvious that god expects his church christ expects his church to be done to be run To be alive in a certain way. And so from this opening greeting, I present to you these three. This is what I believe the word of God is pointing out to us in this opening greeting. And in your outline, number one is that the church is deployed under gospel authority. The church is deployed under God's orders. Okay, so it's not, again, um, you see that it's letter A. It's determined by God about the church. It's determined by God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by his commandment. Whose commandment? Paul's? No, God's. God's commandment. Okay, so it's determined by God, not determined by church fathers, not determined by all the commentaries that we have, not determined by councils or denominational uh, leadership. It's communicated to, God gives his authority to it's to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. He's the Lord of the church. He's the, the head of the body, the church. okay so with this, How does it come down to us? We still get to kind of do it however we want to and mix it up and concoct it the way we like? No, it still comes down to us through what? Through revelation. Jesus to his disciples, empowering them and giving them the authority. Who, Who are they? The prophets and the apostles. There you go. Okay. So it's determined by God and letter B... It's delegated to Christ's apostles. To those 11 who were eyewitnesses of his, they had to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection. They traveled with him. They were his disciples. But then they saw his resurrection. There's the key. That's how they became apostles. And the word, most of you know, the word means sent ones. They're sent ones, apostles. So, um, the gospel was proclaimed as the gospel was proclaimed. Like we see in the book of Acts, more and more churches were brought forth, were birthed. And Paul appointed elders as he went being one of the apostles. And through many of the letters, he had to defend second Corinthians. He had to defend his apostleship because people were questioning that. And so he, He had to, in a sense, defend his being an apostle. And all along, you know, here he goes into a a community, into a town, into a city, and he establishes uh, connections and he shares the gospel. And then he starts studying with the people. He spends time with them, maybe months, maybe years. He teaches them of Jesus and his message, saying that Jesus is your hope. Passed along there, there you see it in verse one. Jesus Christ our hope. He's the confidence that we have in a broken world. He's the confidence that we have in a wicked sin-filled world. Jesus is our hope. Okay? So what's the deal with why start with this? why why bring up this issue of authority? Uh, generally speaking as a people we're, we're not all that excited about hearing about authority. And especially when it comes to my church. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. You know, I come to worship how I want to worship. See how it kind of drifts? <laughs> we kind of drift off because we've learned more about that. It's, you know, it's really about me and my choices and my my likes, my dislikes. You follow my drift? <laughs> and so we want to submit to Authority. Now, do we submit to the authority of the church or the authority of Christ in his church? The authority of Christ in his church. But see, there there are some churches around that we recognize they grab the reins, so to speak, more specifically of the authority factor and tell you what to do and tell you how to live. I mean, we could at this point bring in some illustrations of this idea, but there is too many of them, too many illustrations. But the latest one, I think, was from Africa, and it was under this uh, um, this whole uh, outflow of Strange Fire Conference that was down in Southern California. And the la- one of the latest ones, I believe, was out of Africa, and that was regarding a pastor telling his people, let's go out in this meadow and chew on grass, yeah, that sounds like a really stupid idea. Why is this coming from our pastor? Uh, what's the point? I guess he leads us Psalm 23 kind of thing in green pastures. I, I don't know. That's one extreme example, but there's all sorts of examples of, of, you know, authority being taken in, in an extreme way. And we got to watch out for that. Um, we have to understand what what this business of authority is about, and it points to one one answer: Jesus. Matthew 28: All authority has been given unto me. Right? All authority. He didn't say just with the Jews or just a, just for this time being. No, it's all authority has been given unto me under heaven and earth. What does that tell you? And how do we respond to things about church and about our relationship with Jesus? We need to understand this business of the church being deployed with gospel authority brings about a sure foundation. A sure foundation, not a slippery one. Not a sinking sand one, but a sure foundation of how church ought to go. And with that, it points to the Lordship of Jesus. The Lordship of Jesus. And we, uh, have to keep asking ourselves, how am I doing in that regard, Lord? Help me in submitting to your, your rule, your, your being the King, your being the Lord of my life. And how do we, you know, then pass that on to our, our children and our, our loved ones and our friends that want to connect and talk about the gospel? So that's that's what we see first with in in regards to this greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Number two The Church God expects his church to be distinct with gospel authenticity. Gospel authenticity. Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in faith. We talked about it last week. This is genuine, a genuine profession of faith. A genuine uh, believer. A genuine child of faith in Jesus. So here's about gospel authenticity. It really takes place in those who profess Christ as savior in those who you know are his his children by faith so letter a it's about a genuine profession of faith a genuine profession of faith and i'd like to read to you if you want to just mark it down i'm going to read it um, it's first john chapter 2 verses 4 through 6 whoever says i know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected or matured by this. We may know that we are in him. Here's the test. We know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him or says, I'm a Christian. He abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Again, we're. I've said this time and time again. It's not about perfection with this verse. It's about direction in your life. Because we all sin. We all stumble. You get back up, confess the sin, and keep walking to more and more Christ-likeness in your life. Okay? And recognize the full and finished work that Jesus accomplished on your behalf. He did it. Now, live for Him. Walk in Him. Accept What he's done for you. Identify yourself as a child of God. If you are such. Identify yourself in that on a regular basis. I'm a child of God. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to do that. I'm a child of God. Stand in that. And you're standing on firm foundation when it's about Christ and his righteousness, not about you and your good looks or your good upbringing or whatever. No, it's about standing in Christ's righteousness. So it it means it brings forth a true, a genuine profession of faith. Then letter B, not just a profession of faith, I see something deeper here, and that is it brings about a genuine pattern to follow. Parents have children. Typically speaking, parents have children. So what's the point here? Paul could say, here's my what? Here's my child in faith. And so it comes down through all the years, all the time, all the centuries and years to you and me. Do I have a child by faith in in Christ? Do I have a spiritual child? And that's something, again, we kind of think, oh, well, that's just for the really professionals. That's for guys like Paul and Timothy. No, it's it as you study the word of god it's designed for you and i you and i to birth spiritual children how are you going to do that and again a lot of doubts and uh walls get built up here Oh uh, I, 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 I i i and you stumble with an explanation it comes down to you Loving the Lord Jesus Christ. You knowing his message more and more and more. You wanting to share that with others. Why? Because that's what you love. That's what you love. Share that then. Be ready with that. No, you might not save all of Fallon with your testimony. No, that's not the point. The point is be ready. Be overflowing with this. It's about Jesus. Jesus. Did he change your life? Really? And that's, see, that's why he came. To bring about transformation in you and me. Not just another, as I've said before, not just another little patch that we add to our shirts. No, this is life change. This is transformation. Okay? Gospel authenticity. That's what we see in verse 2. Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul owned him in that sense. He he was like, yeah, you're mine. And here's here's how we want to keep it going. Pass it along. Pass the gospel message along. In love, in your life, and in through your mouth, through your lips, through your conversation. Pass it along. Maybe God will bring about a Timothy in your life. Pray for that, right? So... Gospel authenticity, genuine profession of faith, genuine pattern to follow. Now, number three, number three is that the church is designed for gospel assimilation. Don't get over whatever with the word. Just take it. Gospel assimilation. It's taking something and basically consuming it and digesting it and having it affect your life. Like a good steak. A good dinner or whatever, you know, you take it and you feel, ooh, I feel good after that. Right? Or a a nice big glass of ice water after a hot, hot day. Oh, boy, that feels good. So here's the gospel that we take, that we say we believe in, and we have it soak through, saturate. Okay? And the idea is found in his greeting. He's just saying his greeting. Hey, um, Timothy, you're my true child in faith. Uh, grace, mercy and peace be unto you. That's where I get gospel assimilation. He could have just said, hey, howdy. <laughs> or whatever we want to say in a greeting. How you doing? No, he, he's Paul has had the gospel just soaked through him in thinking and everything, and so he he can't help but say, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. What is grace? Oh, you know that. I don't have to explain that. Do I? It's a divine gift. A divine gift given at great cost to Jesus that we never earned or never merited. We never deserved it. What is mercy? Mercy is that which God withholds. He's withheld his just punishment from us that we definitely deserved. That's mercy. He withholds his judgment against us. And what did he do? He's a just God, so he had to punish someone. He punished Jesus with the judgment, with the wrath of God. That's where the judgment fell. That's why you and I, if if we're true believers, that's why we can say, I'm forgiven. I'm pardoned. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ is all I need. Yeah? Okay? And so the idea is that we focus more and more on the gospel and the person of the gospel, Jesus. Okay? And peace. He adds peace in. What is that? Peace is not just, you know, the old 60s. Hey, brother, peace. It's because here's the result of God's grace and mercy. Here's the result. I now have peace with the Father. He's no longer, I'm no longer at enmity with him that I have to go scurry and hide. No, he's my father. Why? Because Jesus came and shed his blood on the cross for peace. Reconciliation. What an amazing God. What an amazing salvation. If you are not a believer, you are at enmity with God. He's, you're an enemy of God. What? Yeah, that's what the Bible teaches about. Are you under his judgment or wrath or have you been adopted and welcomed into his family? So the only way you can get from being under his judgment and under his wrath is to acknowledge your sin, confess him as Lord and say, I'm yours. I trust you. You are my salvation, Jesus. And Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Thus, you'll have peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore we, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, mark it down if you're taking notes. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And then Colossians 1:19 through 20, we won't read it, but that's another reference about the peace of God. So here's this, here's what's been um, consumed and now translated back out of gospel. We'd call it gospel fluency. Do you have that language? I'm not talking about Christianese where you can throw out words like sanctification, justification. I'm not talking that. But the gospel needs to be fluent from our lives. And thus, just in a simple greeting. Here's what Paul does. Grace and peace and mercy be unto you. That's what I want to do in my life. That's what I want to encourage you about is have not just know about the gospel and say, yeah, the, he's Lord and be under his authority, but have here's gospel authenticity and now gospel assimilation where it, it just soaks through. And that's the idea of letter A to permeate our minds, to permeate our minds and our thoughts. To think it over, to dwell on the gospel, to meditate on it, and then let it be. To basically it, to translate it. It's like you're looking at a. At, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember in college looking at Greek for the first time, and it's like, yeah, that's why they say it's Greek to me. There you go. And so the gospel. Listen. The gospel can tend to be Greek to people. They don't get it. They think it's about them. They think it's about their good works. But you and I can be gospel interpreters, gospel translators. And so we need to dwell on this and meditate on it. And then understand that when we translate it, it's not just mental. It's now translated into our conduct and our conversation. His will is being transferred to others. His, We want to pass along His will to others that they are saved, that they're not just saved, but they're serving. They're not just serving, but here's the transformation of their lives and be used by God. I want to be an instrument in God's hands. I might not be the first trumpet blaring out the... The Calvary call. But I want to be an instrument in God's hands. I hope you do too, my friend. But the way of being used as an instrument in his hands is not through simple church attendance. You have to get into the word of God. Learn it and grow in the things of God's word and let it seep through all things. And here is what it has ha- here's what's happened with Paul. He's, he just can't help it. Even in a silly little simple greeting, he lets the gospel pour forth. What is it going to be in your life? I need to get over um, myself and my, my stuff in life and my agenda and so do you. And we need to let Christ shine through us. But that's not just going to happen by itself. You and I need to get transformed by the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God working in you. Okay? So here's where we start. We're starting in this study. It's about the gospel and sound doctrine. Okay? And so at the very bottom of your outline, at the end here, it's gospel doctrine is foundational for a gospel church. If we're going to be a gospel preaching, gospel centered, gospel saturated church, it, this has got to be the foundation of it. It's, it's God's work, and that's what Jesus, or that's what um, uh, Paul calls it the, um, in Acts chapter two. Here's the apostles' doctrine or their their teaching. That's what they built it on. Okay, so gospel doctrine then establishes Christian fellowship. That's that's why, you know, so many of you, it's a joy to see, you know, you fellowshipping around what God's doing in your life. It's such a joy because that, that's just seeing here's more and more momentum, more and more, uh, snowballing, if you will, snowballing effect. Here's, here's the gospel ministry continuing on. It's not because of us, because of, we're, we're standing on the foundation of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for our time here. And thank you, Lord, that um, your gospel is not nor never was intended to just be a mental uh, assent, a mental acknowledgement. Lord, we want to grow in knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus. And we want to see our church um, certainly standing on on a firm foundation on Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you promise that you will build your church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Help us to join in in that train, in that, in that f- flow of things that is happening because you're still saving people, you're still working, you're still transforming people and saving people from a, the, their bondage of sin. And, Lord, may our lives show that we are just um, continually looking to you, continually praising you. Thank you for this day. What a, what a great God you are. How good you are to us. And we praise you. Christ's name. Amen.